Well, good morning. I know this isn't our uh, typical format or typical venue, but uh, we will uh, uh, move forward. Uh, This is uh, our first Sunday in Advent, and uh, we will be gathering for uh, special services now for the next uh, next four weeks, including today, to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ. And this is a very special season, a very exciting season for me. Um, And I know for you, as families gather, this is a special time of year uh, to celebrate the birth of Christ, but also to anticipate the second coming of Christ. Let me just uh, jump right in this morning uh, with today's message. Uh, We, over the next four Sundays, will be in this season of Advent. Uh, Advent is maybe a word that we don't throw around often, uh, but, but Advent is just simply a Latin word that means or speaks of coming. Uh, there's actually two themes that emerge from uh, this, this word Advent for Christians during this particular season. Uh, it oftentimes refers to the anticipation of Christ's second coming, uh, which as believers we are waiting for and anticipating the day that Christ will return uh, for His church. But it also refers to the first coming that occurred over 2,000 years ago in the city of Bethlehem, referring to the incarnation of Jesus when the Word became flesh and dwelt among humanity. So there's those two themes that emerge that speaks of the coming of Christ, His initial coming as a little baby uh, in a major in the city of Bethlehem, and then His second coming uh, in terms of what we are still anticipating and waiting for today. This season of Advent um, is a very special season because uh, it, it speaks of, of preparation. And it oftentimes stirs up several feelings among, uh, among people today. There's feelings of hope and eagerness, uh, anticipation, and even the feeling or, or the emotion of yearning uh, is, is something that emerges from us during this season of Advent. Uh, I know, especially around the Christmas holidays, uh, maybe you are one who can't wait to open uh, presents under a tree. If you think about uh, presents, sometimes I, I know parents end up putting presents underneath a tree pretty early, maybe even after Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving, uh, if you're one that maybe shops ahead. And uh, I know oftentimes when those trees are placed underneath Uh, or the the presents are placed underneath the trees. I know for kids, little kids, there's that anticipation, that yearning, that that eagerness, that desire to want to go and open the present to see what's underneath the wrapping paper. And and that's kind of the feeling that we get during this season of Advent. There's this sense of of anticipation, excitement, hope, and, and can't wait to see what's underneath that wrapped present. I know the prophets of the Old Testament, they spoke often of the coming of the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you, Micah says, will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times." We also know that the people of Israel, as we move into the New Testament, they yearn for the coming of the Messiah. There was actually 400 years between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, a a period of time that was called the intertestamental period. And during that 400-year period of time, there was no prophetic word, no spoken word uh, that took place. And so there was this anticipation that was continuing to build people that were waiting for the coming Messiah, and we know when we get into the New Testament that there was a remnant of people eagerly holding on to the promises 
of the Old Testament, the promise of his coming, the promise of a son, a Messiah that was to come. We know that because when we get to Luke chapter two, uh, just after the birth narrative of Jesus Christ, Luke 2, 25, it says, at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and he was a righteous and devout man, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. You get the picture of somebody who was anticipating, yearning for the coming of the Messiah or the Christ child, and the Holy Spirit was upon this man. We also see just a few verses later in Luke 2, verse 38, says that she, speaking of Anna, who was a prophetess, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been, listen to this, waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. There was this anticipation that was building during that 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament. When we get to the birth of Christ, there was still a remnant that was holding on, eagerly waiting for the Christ child, for the Messiah to come and to be born. There's still this sense, even today in the 21st century, this sense of yearning among Christians. We know even from Scripture that we're yearning for the full redemption of God's entire creation. If you read in Romans chapter 8, specifically verses 19 through 23, you get a picture of that yearning. It says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. It talks about in verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory. There's this, this longing and this expectation for the full redemption of God's creation. We also know as Christians, there is this sense that we are yearning for perfect clarity and kingdom perspective. We know that in this world, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. A lot of things that we cannot wrap our minds around that we can't fully grasp or understand. We are longing and yearning for a day when we will have complete and full clarity, a day when we will have complete and full kingdom perspective. Uh, we know that these words are written, now we see things imperfect, imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, Paul says, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, the day that we meet Christ face to face, then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And we also know that there is this sense that we as believers, we're yearning to be with Christ uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. Paul says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which is far better off for me, Paul says, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. There is this yearning for believers today to be with Christ, to see him face to face and to spend eternity with him. During the next four weeks of Advent, we're going to unpack one by one the various yearnings of humanity that are really made clear in this first Advent that occurred over 2,000 years ago in the little town of Bethlehem. The first one being the yearning for identity. It's actually four lessons that are going to emerge from our text or our narrative today. The, the narrative of a young peasant girl whose quest for identity was actually interrupted and completed when the divine or when God intervened. Let me just share four lessons from the story of Mary. Mary, who was uh, a peasant girl, a, a Jewish girl who uh, had her own plans, her own desires, but that was interrupted the day that she received an angelic announcement 
stating that she would be the mother of the Christ child. And let's just unpack four lessons that we see from this text today. First of all, true identity cannot be measured on a worldly scale. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, according to the world's standard, if you were to read this text and and look at what the world's measuring stick was, Mary was no special person. She was a young Palestinian peasant girl and likely around the age of 13 or 14 years old. She lacked a noteworthy family lineage. It says nothing about her family. There's, There's no specific ties to necessarily the Christ child before this angelic announcement. She was betrothed. Uh, to a man by the name of Joseph that we learn is a descendant of King David, yet she was still in that betrothal period. Therefore, she was not part of uh, this family just quite yet. They're going through the process of, of being engaged, being betrothed to one another. There was a bride price that had to be paid, and there was a specific period of time that they had to be betrothed before um, they would um, finalize the marriage ceremony. And so, therefore, she was not yet a part officially of Joseph's family. And she had no husband just yet. She was betrothed and she had no child. Therefore, uh, she still lacked that sense of identity when it came to her role or status as a woman. Uh, we know that a child gave a, uh, a woman this sense of identity uh, from a human perspective all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse 8 in the Old Testament. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me, her husband said. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? We know that Hannah was one who was longing for, yearning for uh, a, a child that would give her a sense of identity. But we know that Mary was not a well-known figure uh, before this time to the Galilean world. She was just an ordinary woman with an ordinary life that lacked extraordinary character. Yet, an angelic visitation and announcement came to the one that the world was ignoring. We know that the worldly scale of status, position, fame, and family heritage is not a concern for God. And we cannot get wrapped up in this reality that somehow that status, that fame, or that position will bring us identity because one's identity must never be wrapped up in these false claims. For God, it's not about the worldly scale. It's not about position. It's not about fame. It's not about status. For God, it's something totally different. And we must be careful not to wrap our identity in the things of this world or, or, or by the world's standards because we will always fall short of who we truly are in Christ and what God expects us to be. Number two, true identity is a byproduct of God's incredible grace. Luke chapter 1, verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 48, for he took notice 
of his lowly servant girl, from, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. An angelic greeted, greeting actually hinted at Mary's identity. The angel came to Mary and said to her, greetings favored woman, or then he would go on to say, the Lord is with you and you have found favor with God. This word favored uh, just simply means endued with special honor or to make one accepted. So you could say that the, the phrase was not just greetings favored woman, but greetings accepted one. She was accepted by God or she found favor with him. With, with him. Now what's very interesting is that her acceptance or the favor that was poured upon Mary had nothing to do with her or what she had accomplished, but it had everything to do with God. Notice this angelic statement did not precede some type of action from Mary. Mary didn't accomplish something, do something before the angel would come and say, greetings, favored woman. Instead, God took notice of this lowly servant and he looked upon her with favor and with acceptance. It wasn't because of her pregnancy or some type of intrinsic holiness about her that brought her favor, but instead she became a recipient of God's incredible grace. C.F. Fuller wrote these words. He says, God has given his favor to one who had no claim of lowliness and has chosen her to have a central role in because you may be one who's struggling with trying to figure out who you are, what's your purpose, what is your identity, who we are and our purpose. It has nothing to do, it has everything to do with God and his incredible grace. Paul will write these words in Ephesians chapter 1, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loves, loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. In his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and this is what he wanted to do. He gave, it gave him great pleasure, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, listen, who belong to his dear son. You belong to Christ. Your identity is not wrapped up in the things of this world. Your identity is not wrapped up in these false claims that you have to accomplish something. You have to accept you. He's accepted you. Belong to that is rich the right things I will have established my worth. Identity is the sum of my achievements. Hence, if I can satisfy the boss, meet the needs of my spouse and children, and still do justice to my... There are infinite ways to prove... ...is this. I am what I do. It is a religious position in life because it tries to answer in practical terms the question, who am I and what is my niche in this universe? On this re theology such a position is it assumes that my worth is measured 
But then Paul goes on, uh, this writer goes on to state this. He says, the gospel... He declares that in Christ we already are. ...tempt us to locate our identity in something or someone smaller than Jesus. Locked in Christ. Our connection in and with Christ. Here's the good news. How much you can accomplish. Your weaknesses, your sordid. So on your identity is firmly. Not yours. Yours, his victory, not yours. You Not your sin. As my friend Justin Buzzard recently wrote, the gospel doesn't just about yourself. You are free. As I said in my previous place for others, Christ, not your place. Now you can your identity is in Christ, not in your position. Now you can spend your life not your possessions. Paul speaks of our having we were also raised with him through faith and powerful working of previously made us has been put and raised with Christ and on the all because of Christ's finished aspects of what we've become in Jesus Christ, what we, what more could we here in Christ we have worth and purpose and security let's not be wrapped up in the things of this world nothing to do with grace. Number three, true identity is found when I surrender. Luke, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will be holy, will be called the Son of God. Fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary was already accepted. Her a favored. Her is the divine. The one that was. Therefore, her response to this injustice. 38, she says, I am the Lord's Thomas later in chapter 2, verse 19, it says that Mary will consider and ponder these things. God's plan instead of pursuing my own plans. True identity as a child of God. Mary actually jeopardized a place in 
she was the very fact of her going to Uh, would have jeopardized that relationship, but she put that on the line instead to surrender not to her, not to the plans of God. She jeopardized that relationship plan of God, but God's plan involved Mary playing a critical role in the plan of salvation. I want you to hear this this morning. This morning, failure to surrender to God's plan. And pursuing recklessly our own plans will leave us in a continual search for identity and purpose. Your identity is not wrapped up again in what you accomplish or what you do. But when you fully surrender to the plans of God, it's then that you will begin to understand and embrace the identity that can be found only in Jesus Christ. And finally, number four. And this is very important for us to understand true identity when we understand it, when we embrace it, when we recognize it, it is in Christ. It makes me useful for God's kingdom. To be useful for the kingdom of God. We don't want to just be bystanders. We don't want to just sit here and never be used of God. We want to be useful for the kingdom of God. And our true identity, when we understand that we are children of God, that we have been accepted in the beloved when we grasp that and understand that, then God will begin to use us in powerful and mighty ways to advance his kingdom. Luke 2, verse 15, this is toward the end of the, the birth narrative. When the angels have returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that had happened, which the Lord told us about. They hurried, they found Mary and Joseph, they saw the baby there lying in a manger, they saw the shepherds, and, and, and everyone was astonished. Mary then kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds then went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Mary was accepted again before she did anything. Mary embraced fully the divine plan announced by the angel, and she discovered her identity in her relationship to God and his plan. We discover even in Matthew chapter 1 that Mary was a key player in God's plan of salvation. She shows up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and she played a critical role in bringing about the plan of redemption and salvation. And I want you to know this morning that when you discover your true identity in Christ, when you recognize it has nothing to do with um, your position, your accomplishments, what you do, what you, uh, what you can accumulate here on earth, and it has everything to do with God's incredible grace and that you are a child of God, let me tell you this morning that you will be incredibly useful for God's kingdom. I want you to look at how understanding your identity as a child of God and an, an ambassador of Christ can change the world one writer wrote these words, Nepal, it's the birthplace of the founder of Buddhism. It is the only official Hindu kingdom in the world. According to C. Peter Wagner, Professor Emeritus of Church Growth at Fuller Theological Seminary, many missiologists consider the Himalayan region a hopeless case for humanity or for Christianity. However, several years ago, the Lord saved Locke Bhandari, a revolutionary freedom fighter, a national martial arts champion whose father had groomed him to become the, the prime minister of Nepal. And today, Locke is an ambassador for Christ in his home country, and he's not discouraged by the fact that he has been detained and arrested more than 30 times and persecuted for preaching the gospel. And now Locke tells crowds of 65,000 to 70,000 people how Jesus revolutionized his life. 
Christians in Nepal now number more than 700,000. A great work of God considering that 50 years ago that there were no known Christians in Nepal. I want you to understand this morning that when we recognize and embrace the reality that our identity is not not found in the things of this world, not measured by a worldly standard, but instead it has everything to do with God's grace and it's found in Christ that we have been accepted in the beloved. When we come to that point and realize that God will use us to do incredible things for his kingdom. We see that happen in Nepal where there were no known Christians, but one man who recognized that his identity had nothing to do with who he was groomed to be as a a Hindu, but instead he recognized that he was a child of the risen king. And when he recognized that, he became an incredible ambassador for the kingdom of God, and now many have come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I want you to answer this question. I can't answer this for you, but I want you to wrestle with this question, who am I? Humanity is yearning for identity, trying to discover who they are, why they are here, what they are supposed to do. Quit trying to answer this question using a worldly measuring stick. Your identity has nothing to do with what you've accomplished, accumulated, or your status. Instead, it has everything to do with God and His incredible grace. I am a child of God. I am His son, and I am His his daughter. I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. I have been set apart for him and for his purposes. I have value not because of what I accomplish or what I do. I have value. Why? Because I belong to Christ. And I have purpose. Again, not because of my status, my fame, or my position. I have purpose because I belong to God. I want you to wrestle with that question. Who am I? You have stamped on you the image and likeness of God. Your identity is wrapped up in God's incredible grace and that he has adopted you into his family. So I want you to understand that, embrace that, and when you do, God will use you for his purpose and for his glory. God, we thank you so much that our identity is not wrapped in what we can accomplish here on earth. It's not wrapped up in what I can accumulate here on earth has nothing to do with my position, my status, my fame, or my relationships. My identity has everything to do with your incredible grace. Even before Mary became the mother of the Christ child, you recognized her as the favored one, the accepted one, because she had been fearfully and wonderfully made, because she had already been adopted into God's family. So, Father, I pray for those that are in this room today that maybe have been struggling with trying to understand who they are, what their purpose is, who, where they can find their identity. Father, I pray today they would stop looking in the things of this world and instead recognize that their identity is wrapped up in the grace of God, that they are a child of God, that they have been fearfully and wonderfully made, that they have stamped on them the image and likeness of God. They have value and purpose, not because of what they do here, but because they belong to you. Father, I pray that you would help us all to recognize that position. Help us to recognize, Lord, who we are in Christ, that we have been accepted in the beloved. I thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.